to the Prepared Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Austin. This week, I am joined by Pat Watson of Uncensored Tactical. Uh, Pat sits down with me. We talk about, honestly, a whole ton of stuff. Uh, Pat's a great guy with a uh, pretty cool background and a pretty cool story doing uh, some some different stuff over at Uncensored, uh, something that's a little bit off the beaten path, but uh, but honestly, uh, very much needed, I think, in in our community today. So I was really excited to have the opportunity to chat with him for a bit, uh, and I think you guys are really going to dig it. Uh, before I jump too far, though, uh, you know, into things this week, I do want to make sure that I thank our sponsor, uh, our partner here at The Prepared Mindset, MyMedic.com. Guys, you can head over to MyMedic.com and check out everything they got going on. Okay, right now it's September, and September is National Preparedness Month. So being in the business of preparedness and medical prepping, medical supplies, uh, MyMedic has a ton of stuff on sale this month. Uh, I think every week it's a different one of their... um, I guess, uh, flagship kits, right? First week of the month was the MyFAC kit or MyIFAC, right? Uh, there, I think the last week was their, uh, 10 essentials bag and actually, uh, love something different this week. Okay. Uh, and not like, Hey, we're going to knock 5% off. These things are, they're 20% off. So it's a pretty big markdown for you guys and a pretty awesome opportunity. Uh, on top of that, you can also use our discount code mindset 20. That's going to knock an additional, 20% off of your order total. So guys, that's depending on what you're looking at, that's up to 40% off savings right now with uh, National Preparedness Month and the sales they got they got going on over at MyMedic. Maybe you're not looking for a full kit. Hey, maybe you just need some pieces to finish the one that you've been you know piecing together yourself over time. I know a lot of dudes take that approach, buying pieces as they go because it's just how they do stuff. Or maybe you just need to replace some items that you used uh, out of your kit they got you covered. You know, you need some tourniquets, you need some bleed stop supplies. Uh, maybe you're getting ready for a lot of hiking now that this, uh, now that the fall is coming around, they got a hiker medic. Uh, Hey, maybe you go out on adventures with your dog a lot. Okay. Walk your dog on a regular basis, go do some fun stuff with our four-legged friends. They got the pet medic. That's going to get you all covered. Make sure that those guys are taken care of. They're members of our family. It's important to make sure you got supplies for them too, right? My medic has, has all of it. Okay. And a whole lot more, honestly, stuff that you guys probably wouldn't even think about. So head over to mymedic.com. Again, our code is mindset 20 to save 20% off. You guys can also head over to our Facebook page in the offer section. They got our affiliate link there. If you use that, you can still save on their national preparedness month sale. You can still save using the mindset 20 code, but if you use that link and make your purchase there, it's going to kick a little something extra back to the prepared mindset to help us keep doing what we do here. Uh, something else that's worth men- mentioning with MyMedic that you don't see with a lot of other medical companies out there in the market is they are HSA and uh, I think it's FSA friendly. I know HSA, your health savings account. So if you you know have a an HSA through work that your employer helps contribute to, um, you got the little card that you swipe for purchases at the pharmacy, medication, whatever. If you're like my wife and I, and we don't really spend a whole lot of that money because we just we're young and we don't have a whole ton of issues that uh, that eat that up. 
here, here you go. You can use those funds, which I think they're tax deferred, um, something like that. Anyways, you can use those funds that are specifically earmarked for um, medical and, and hospital and, and uses like that. You can use it to buy one of these medical kits to make sure that if something goes wrong, you and your loved ones are in a good situation with supplies. MyMedic.com, head over and check out what those guys are all doing. But let's go ahead and get to the good stuff here. This is me sitting down with Pat Watson from Uncensored Tactical. Hey, Pat. How's it going, man? What's up, man? Thanks for uh, having me here. No, thank you for, for making the time. I know you got a lot uh, a lot going on. And uh-huh. um, honestly, I'm, I'm just thrilled. I know we were talking about it a little bit before we started recording. Um, just thrilled to be doing this with somebody that uh, also runs a podcast. So you kind of know you know, what, what goes into it and, uh, and how it's all gonna, you know, work and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I'm excited. Um, well, why don't we just start by good and, uh, introduce yourself, brother, tell everybody uh, a little bit about yourself and what you got going on. Sure. Thank you. Uh, I'm Pat Watson and I run the uncensored tactical.com website, podcast, video series, books. Um, that's all me. I am for the most part, a one man show, uh, with the exception of an assistant that I have that handles a lot of logistics for me uh, that I just recently uh, started collaborating with. And I did about 10 or 11-ish years combined through all sorts of different operations, whether it was active duty military, reserve military, uh, reserve activations and deployments, both domestic and overseas, uh, federal law enforcement operations, local law enforcement uh, patrol operations as a uh, street cop, uh, and then some time in just the kind of corporate uh, environment, private security arena. And I left all of that behind to dedicate a hundred percent of my time to this passion, which is the website and all of our different products and services and content. That's, that's gold, man. Honestly, that is, I don't know, um, if I could do that, at least not, not yet, but that's, that's awesome. Um, I didn't even realize all that other stuff you had done too. Um, so it's, pretty incredible honestly um and i know like you just got the Thank the you. store up and running i saw it today on social media you guys had like your first product sell out so that's like you know it's mm-hmm. huge you are you gonna like frame a dollar yeah. bill or something <laughs> for that one no no i i've i'm a little bit less sentimental as i've grown up i've gotten rid of a lot of trinkets but it still means a lot to me uh, actually it means the world to me you know this is this is not a uh, overnight story this has been decades in the making so it's been, it's been a long, long road, but um, we're moving forward and we're excited. No, it's awesome. It's and it's exciting to see uh, a company get started, right? Uh, the growth, the um, just the yeah, I mean the growth, right? The, the expansion from just like a, a social media presence into an actual store and and things like that. So I I think it's awesome, and I'm excited to see what you guys uh, are doing in the future. Um, well, so thank let's. You. Let's talk a little bit more about Uncensored Tactical. Um, what are you guys doing? Yeah. I mean, obviously, we just rattled through a whole bunch of stuff, but um, I know you guys offer, like, some classes and things, and um, I know you, you you seem to focus a little bit on, I don't want to say the less popular stuff, but it I guess that is the easiest way to say it, right? Because with Instagram, social media, yeah. it's all, like, you know... Um, one reload one drills and i say this because i do it a lot myself too so i fully calling myself out on this but <laughs> yeah i know what you um, mean you know a lot of like dry fire or range practice and everyone focuses on like you know firearms and and uh, plate carriers and stuff but you you've taken a little bit different approach 
um, which I think is what makes you stand out. So uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Sure, I'm happy to. Yeah, it's no secret. There's no lack of uh, Gunstagram pages out there. And that's not a bad <laughs> thing. That's that's a fantastic thing. That's good. Um, let's talk a minute about how the design process works for UTech. So I am not a, I try not to be a one-trick pony. And I try not to be a, it's not that I don't follow the crowd for that, you know, for its own sake. But there's something called uh, lifestyle design that a mentor of mine explained to me. Um, you know Jack Spierko from the Survival Podcast? I don't think so. Uh, he's been doing it for over a decade, and he's got 2,000-plus episodes now, so he's a great resource. Um, I have been listening intently to all of his his business and product and content creation uh, types of episodes. He does a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, so you can say I, I probably got a college-level um, honorary degree from him in <laughs> structuring and business principles and uh, things that you can't learn in business classes. So every single thing that Uncensored Tactical, which is which is me, every single thing that I do with this company um, is based on principles, and it goes through a set of filters before I engage in a new project. Um, it is by design for the rest of my life, for the most part, to be a one-man show. So I don't want to include empl- employees. Uh, well, let me back up one step before that, and then we'll get right back to that. Um, sure. I'm doing I'm doing lifestyle design with my business, meaning I I haven't found a job or an idea and hunted it and then said, well, now I have to live here because that's where I work. And now I have to drive this kind of car because that fits my budget. And now I have to plan my vacations this way. So I'm doing it in the reverse order, which is I want a lifestyle where I can travel to any of the 50 states and as long as I have my laptop, I can still make money. I can yeah, still put food that's on the ideal. Table. I want a job that I am very active and I'm meeting a lot of people, um, you know, shaking hands, I'm sh- teaching people skill sets, um, I'm writing a lot. So I want to be able to diversify what I do, but I still want to focus on the things that make me the most happy, which is being in a classroom with a bunch of peers um, and all learning together um, for the skill sets that I teach. So if that's my focus, then content creation is a big goal of mine. So the more content we can get, the more audience we can get. Um, and that gives me a lot of freedom for where I can create content. Um, and only being a one man show means I don't have to get bogged down with employees and travel and logistics. Um, I really don't have to get involved with scheduling anybody else besides myself. So I've designed this company to work for me. Um, so I also have a lot of companies or businesses or services that I despise, uh, just because of the way they do business. So I like being able to be in control um, yeah. and I don't chase widgets. So I don't say, oh, if I make this thing for X amount of dollars, I can resell it for X amount of dollars. So, yeah, let me make a million of those. That's not my thought process. My thought process is we're going to take our time. We're going to grow organically and we're going to treat people as good as we possibly can. And for every single product we put out, my goal is to provide more value in that product or service than what people pay me in tuition or in a sales rate. So there, that is and that's, always the filter. Always yeah, the filter. And, and, and that's like, that's, I think, where we're starting to see not a lot, but we're starting to see some businesses are starting to finally figure that out. When I say some businesses, I mean smaller operations. Um, <clears throat> because it, it, I mean, to be competitive, right, today with places like Amazon and, and stuff, well, mostly just Amazon, because who goes to a store to do physical shopping anymore? But, um, 
the customer service, the customer experience, the customer value piece is, um, I think, becoming, and it's it's really noticeable, but it's not really attainable, um, or I should say it's not easily attainable, right? Because it's something you have to, to your point, you know, it has to be well thought out. You have to be kind of, um, you know, uh, what am I trying to say here? It takes a um, lot of effort to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Your foundation has to be in your principles and in your mission, you know, for, for your convictions, right. For what you want to do. So, um, I think we're starting to see a couple places, a couple companies, you know, that are, I'll say more, um, mainstream on social media, right. Um, you know, like T-Rex arms comes to mind just because they're customer service and they, that gets into a whole nother, you know, realm of things. But, um, I think they've really built themselves on a customer service and to your point, a value add, um, specifically in the shooting part of, um, you know, the, the, the community, let's just call it the community. Right. Um, and I know you guys are, you're doing something that's way different in developing skills. Um, and when I, when I say skills, I don't, I mean, we see a lot of guys out there talking about shooting. We see a lot of guys talking about, um, you know, communications and stuff. Um, a lot of the content I've seen from you lately has been actually around security, right? And lock picking uh, more specifically, which I thought was super interesting um, because some of the videos uh, that, that you put out there content wise, it's like a minute, a minute and a half and you're, you're through a lock. And I'm like, dude, I couldn't, I have a hard enough time getting my keys out and doing that, you know, coming home in, in under a minute. Um, what led you to, what led you to that? Is that just something that you, develop that skill set uh you know through your your career up to this point or um i guess what really brought that about because it's it's pretty interesting well thank you uh sure so to even bring it full circle back to the first question which was why maybe why do i focus on the skills that i do instead of you know gunstagram pages uh it's (laughs) that was available to me first first off um because of the travel uh i used to be really big in martial arts i used to be really big in shooting um, and I always thought that that's what my website would turn out to be, you know, just another yeah. Gunstagram page. Uh, but because of deployments and moving across the country a couple times and the size and scope of my living arrangements and office availability, it's just, it was so hard for me to keep and maintain training partners for martial arts. Um, yeah. And because I lived really uh, urban when I was in Florida for most of my life, it was really hard to find a gun range not just a gun range, but a gun range that was uh, open to the type of training I would want to do there. Yeah, it really is. And I'm in Michigan and a lot of people assume that we're all like huge deer hunters up here and we all own guns and everything. And uh, they'd probably be mostly correct, but our uh, availability to ranges for, you know, anything short of here, stand in this lane and shoot at 15 yards. um, It's real hard to find. It's, it's real hard to find. I agree. Uh, who are we that back over here and i think um I, i'm hoping that people are starting to realize that's like a, a gap in the market i know um there's a, a range up here it's about 45 minutes from my house but the uh, they're actually building a facility that would allow for bigger training areas like that uh just indoors um although it's definitely you know one of those things it's like the exception um not the rule but uh, sorry l- l- getting back to oh. what you were saying um <laughs> you know the travel and everything right. and the, the obstacles yep. you were encountering uh so martial arts was no was a no-go um it was it's and i feel terrible i made some good connections with people got into some good training schools um i found some arts that i really liked 
and it, I just couldn't maintain it because of logistics. Uh, it's it's still in here, like it's still in my heart somewhere. Um, sure. And I'm okay at it, but I'm obviously not the most sharp as I've ever been. Uh, but it was that was off the table as a professional endeavor, so to speak, just because of logistics. Uh, lock picking, you can as long as you have the tools, you can do it by yourself. You can do it with other people. You can do it at a bar. You can do it over dinner. You can do it while you're watching cartoons. Like it's sure. it's for the most part always available for you to have some type of tool and some type of lock. So that fit into my um, my logistics availability, so to speak. I could spend a lot of time on it. I can go in depth on it. I could write about it. I could do videos. Uh, I have a passion for it. With I it have pretty easily, I assume. Have it. Absolutely, yep. Um, so, so that was always an option. I had a passion in that since I was a kid. Uh, when I was about, I don't know, seven or eight years old, my dad was a, a cop, and he came back from some training. And long story short, I was like, hey, they taught us how to break out of handcuffs today at you know police training. And I was like, that's <laughs> odd. Uh, just, doesn't that make you a bad guy? And he yeah. said, well, if, if you know, he said, if you know what to look for, if you know how to do the thing, if you know how to do the offense, well, then you're prepared for the defense even better, so to speak. Yeah. So under, understanding I mean, the flip side of security helps you prevent those things from happening. And that was going to be one of my questions is how you kind of, where your passion for this came from. Because I know we were all kids at one point and you, mm-hmm. everyone, you know, unbent the paperclip and decided they were going to try and pick whatever lock was on whatever locker at school or something. And, and we could never wrap our brains around. Well, why doesn't it work? I've seen this in a movie or an episode of MacGyver at least a dozen times, you know. Um, and so it's one of those things where I feel like, uh, yeah, a lot of people assume, like, well, why do you need to know how to lockpick unless you're yeah. doing something um, shady? <laughs> certainly, you know, certainly. There is a lot of uh, media hocus pocus around it and a lot of stigma uh, attached to it. But it is uh, it's growing by far. It's a it's a hobby. It's growing. It's a sport and community um, events it's growing. Really? I did not realize that. If you look, if you Google lock sport, either one word or two separate words, lock sport is a huge growing community internationally. Uh, people get together and try and do like speed drills and they try and, uh, uh, sometimes they will, if a new lock comes out, lock sport will take that lock and they'll try and figure out how to, how to bypass no way. it. Uh, and so they have make you know, it like the, the new obstacle, and, the new obstacle to get yes, past in the community. Um, that's not, I think it's fantastic. I'm actually going to write that down because uh, now I'm really interested because it's I feel like sometimes with uh, with stuff like that, people don't realize there's like a whole nother world for it and everything. Um, and then there's like ways to compete with it and uh, all different kinds of like rabbit holes and stuff you can end up going down. And uh, that's that's legit. I am going to write that down. Um, you said lock sport. Yep. Either one word or two, but it'll pop up. And there's communities. In every of the 50 states, certainly. Um, and if not, you can start your own. They're really helpful. Uh, they're kind of hierarchy that manages the Locksport name. They're very, very <laughs> helpful, and they love the community building, so they'll help you out. So is that something that have you participated in that? I have not. No, I support not it, yet. and I, I know what it is, and I support it. Um, you know, I'm vocal about it, and I support it in that fashion, but I've never been involved in it. So... So getting back to, you said your dad kind of is the one that like introduced you to the whole concept, right? Um, where did it go from there, I guess? Because um, it just, it seems like one of those things, like there had to have been the, maybe that like aha moment um, later on down the line where you kind of looked at it and go, hey, this is, this is more than just like 
you know, knowing how to change the oil on your car, you know, which is a good skill, although it relatively seems unremarkable to a lot of people. Um, where did, when, I guess, when did it all start to come together is really what I'm, what I'm getting at. Uh, sure. Well, I've, I've told this story on a, a bunch of other platforms too. Um, so I'll give you something that's slightly different to answer that question. So that's something unique here for you. Um, there are lots of benchmarks that got me moving down this road. It wasn't just one, but, uh, one of the unique ones was being in the military and knowing a little bit about how to do this skill set myself. Um, and then seeing just the insane, absolute sheer wild majority of people that were in high speed roles, operator roles, shooting, instructing, uh, defensive tactics, handcuffing, uh, all these people and all these military and law enforcement and government roles had no fucking clue that their security could be defeated just with the snap of a finger, basically. So that was like, that was the magic. That was me seeing, Oh my God, there is a gaping hole in, in all these different security services. Let me help. You mean there's a way to get through a door that doesn't involve a breaching shotgun or a really big hammer. Uh, yeah, most, I think most surprisingly, it was the handcuffs and the flex cuff escapes that I would show people that were on my team and we would deploy and we'd handcuff people and flex cuff people and point guns at people Mm -hmm. and say, well, you're handcuffed, don't move. And during training, (laughs) I would show all my teammates like, Hey, this is how you break out of a handcuff. And they'd be like, huh? Like just wild majority. Um, I was at, where did you learn how to do that? Did you do time or something? (laughs) I was at uh, basically a 100-person SWAT team. It was like 10 teams of 10, and we deployed to do counter-drugs and, and uh, anti-piracy operations. Uh, and of the people in that unit that I worked with uh, day-to-day or month-to-month, whatever, I can remember zero people that had a grasp on that skill set that said, oh, yeah, I know how to do that. Like It was always like, nope, never heard of it. Nope, that's crazy. Oh, my God, I can't believe you can do that. And on rare occasion, it would be like, oh, I tried that once, but that was it. So there was nobody in that in any of the fields that I worked in that, that went, yep, I have a solid grasp on that. Great. Yeah, I've, like it was, I've dealt with that before. I know what you're talking about. Not one per, wow. Not one. So, I mean, and, and is there, I'm assuming, right, because now you're starting to see the popularity of things like, um, you know, like Clint Emerson's 100 Deadly Skills or, or whatever. Um, and you're starting to see all these videos come out on YouTube, right, about how to get out of duct tape, how to get out of um, zip ties and, and stuff like that. And um, obviously now we're talking about handcuffs. Is there, I assume there's been then further development and thought behind how to properly restrain people, you know, sir, like, does it make a difference which way the handcuffs, I guess, uh, face, <laughs> you know, where the locks on the inside versus the outside or, um, does it really not make a difference? Uh, so the answer is it depends and a little bit column a little column B. So there are ways you can make it more difficult to get out of restraints. So if you practice breaking out of your own handcuffs if you do it safely and smartly um, and you practice breaking out of those you'll quickly learn some of the ways to make that more difficult uh, for your detainees however comma um, (laughs) it shouldn't really matter if you if you operate based on principles it shouldn't matter Mm -hmm. if you're quote-unquote enemy or opposition whatever it shouldn't matter if they know skill sets and if they know how to do unique things if your foundations are strong, shouldn't matter. So you should be able to handcuff someone in the easiest way to escape, and you should be able to keep them in handcuffs relatively easily. So the first thing that um, f- 
fuck, every street cop out there fails to do at one time or another is uh, the principle, the strong foundation of operational you know, patrol operations is once you detain someone and handcuff them, they are your responsibility, period. Yeah. Like you so, see videos so, of that on social media so going many wrong. cops yeah they yeah. just go oh you're handcuffed you're in magic magic iron bracelets and they'll never fail totally and immobilized around, and i don't have to worry around, about it right walk away and then the detainee escapes so uh they break their own operational rules which is um taking custody of someone that's in your custody so you don't take custody of someone and then fucking walk away you take custody right. of someone and then you monitor them so 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 in one hand, yes, there's ways to make it more difficult to break out of restraints. In the other hand, it shouldn't matter if you're operating smartly. So did you ever, um, I guess in your experiences, did you ever encounter one of those situations, maybe working with somebody else where, um, like you said, that, that principle was violated, they, just the assumption that the, the restraint was, um, was sufficient um, and then turned out to not be so true? Uh, I know there were stories. Uh, I was I was only active with my street patrol, my patrol law enforcement operations. Um, I only did that for about maybe two years, two and a half, maybe even three. I don't remember, but okay. somewhere around there. And I do remember a few times, not, not, I think one was on my shift where um, another deputy was driving someone to the jail and it was a very rural drive. And he, the person in the backseat was actively kicking the window out. Um, and by the time he pulled over and backup got there, they they had the guy like halfway in and out of the window. Uh, but I do remember oh, one geez. or two times in my two years there that uh, a report went out. Uh, this deputy had this this suspect in handcuffs. The suspect fled and ran and escaped with the handcuffs still on them. Be on the lookout. So I know that those things have happened, but it's it's not like James Bond 007. It's like literally, oh, now's my chance. I'm going to run. And they run. So it's yeah. <laughs> nothing super secret. So, I mean, obviously practice is going to help people with that. And yeah, like you're saying, I, I don't, I don't think that, especially given we've already said, right, how um, rare and elusive this skill set seems to be for basic people that, you know, your average person is going to be able to just bust out of uh, a, set, a set of cuffs or anything. Um, but I mean, I guess uh, I'm just going to ask, and it's going to sound really stupid, but I don't care because I love this movie. Um, <clears throat> U.S. Marshals with Tommy Lee Jones where Robert Downey Jr. breaks the dude's sunglasses, right? And uses the sunglass to pick the lock on the handcuffs. Can I learn how to do that? hundred percent. Yes. You could probably oh, do it. By, by, you could probably do that by tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, well, now I want to learn because, <laughs> um, that, that I always remember as a, as a kid, I remember watching that with my dad cause it came out in like what, like 99 or something, right? I was yeah, definitely was a late, late nineties movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was before Downey went to jail, got clean, turned his life around and became an Avenger. Um, okay. but I remember watching that with my dad. I'm like, and as soon as it happened, like, can you really do that? And I mean, and my dad's, he's a, he works at Chrysler, you know, he's at auto work, has no idea. He goes, I don't know, son, probably. Know. <laughs> but as a kid, I'm like, that's amazing. Well, to, and to answer your question, is that possible? So it depends, of course, like most questions. If it's if the handcuffs are, you have to worry about them being double locked or just regular single locked is your first issue for planning how to escape from your handcuffs. Uh, and then it's not like any pair of sunglasses can get you out. It would have to be the right thickness, the right length, the right malleability of the metal. Um, you'd have to break it at just the right spot. Um, 
It would depend on if your hands are in front of you or behind you. It would depend on if you're in hinged cuffs or regular swivel cuffs. Um, and then there's some handcuff keyways that have some advanced, uh, I say advanced really, it's just a step above basic. They have some advanced keyways that will make it a little bit more difficult to pick out of. But for the most part, handcuff te technology has not changed in the last 100 years or more. And uh, Yeah, and I was going to say when you brought up the, the hinge cuffs um, versus like the, the traditional swivel chain uh, style, um, I guess is one harder to get out of than the other and have we, yes, i mean do certainly. we see do we see law enforcement realizing these kinds of things and, and moving uh that direction with with equipment and stuff or is it really just uh no. it is what you can afford type deal uh oh right now with, you know the whole the the, <laughs> the bullshit about um defunding the police being so popular across the country and everything um and of course in positions like you and i are realizing that hey um equipment costs money training costs money um, you can't cut the funding and expect anything to actually get better, but I digress. Yeah, I'll, we'll, maybe we'll talk politics after the show, but I'll, I'll stay on topic yeah. here for you today. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so there's about 100 threads to pull from there. Uh, first would be bureaucracies move very slowly. The second would be uh, criminals and bureaucracies and individual officers. They all have, they all have a risk-reward analysis that they're constantly doing. And we don't all do the same risk reward analysis. There's people are on different spectrums of that analysis. Right. But even your street, even your street level criminal goes, what are my chances of getting caught? And what are my chances of succeeding? And is it worth it? And they will all do that. And they're not the best judge of is it worth it? But they still do that. Um, they still do that <laughs> right. math equation in their head. Bureaucracies do the same thing. They go, oh, you can pick out of handcuffs. Well, some bureaucracies know this and some don't. But if they're if they're presented with this by some street level idiot deputy like me that goes, hey, guys, uh, we should worry about this thing. <laughs> they do the same analysis where they go, how much energy and expense and time and logistics do we have to push into this problem to solve it? And what is our risk of it? And even if we don't yeah. prepare and it happens, what can we then do about it? And if, if the scales tip one way, they go, fuck it. We don't care if the scales tip the other way. They go. Well, let's try and solve it. And that's a mess, too. I'm not a very big fan or supporter of bureaucracy. Um, it's a fucking hot garbage mess, no matter how you look at it. But Agreed. Uh, so those are that that is real life. That's what really happens. They go, eh, is this worth preparing for? When's the last time someone picked out a handcuffs? Three years ago. And what happened? We caught them. OK, no, fuck it. We're not training our cops yeah, to break out of handcuffs. There's not enough motivation there to make a change, especially on a budget or something when they're looking to, you know, allocate dollars and stuff. And I. Um, actually I have a very close friend who's, uh, who's in law enforcement here in Michigan. He stood up at my wedding. Um, and all, that's all I hear from him is, uh, it's a mess. Yeah. You know, and not even necessarily with the budgeting and stuff, but, uh, mostly around the budgeting, you know, Hey, we can't do this. We can do this. Hey, they don't want to pursue this anymore because, you know, public perception and everything. It's like, you know, man, really? But, so I'll cheat here a little bit on my political statement. So. Politics aside, yeah, there's not a cop out there that does think the government-run policing is a good system. I think we'll, I think you'll find it very hard to get a cop to go, this system works great, thumbs up. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely not. So I know it, active cops know it, retired cops know it, people that are in police bureaucracy, they know it, um, and, and shockingly, it doesn't change, or it doesn't change for the better. So 
That's my yeah. semi-political, non-political statement on that. But <laughs> yeah, and it's and sorry. I think it's it's that way with a lot of stuff. You know, unfortunately, yeah. I think it's just one of those things we're gonna have to we we work towards constantly. Um, but um, so one of the things that I wanted to make sure we talked about because this you and I had a had started a conversation a couple weeks back um, oh. over a post on Instagram. Um, and it was surrounding specifically in, uh, the topic of uh, CQB, right? So close right. quarter battle, um, which is I, it gets romanticized a lot, right, on social media, um, in the movies, TV, right? You know, you're going through doorways and tight turns, and you know, uh, it just it it looks sexy, right? right. So everyone's like, well, that's all I learned how to do, and that's good, you know. I mean, if it if it uh, is something that drives you to want to be better and be more proficient with a firearm um i'm all for it whatever it is you know i think we see entirely too little of people taking uh, accountability for that those kinds of skill sets um <clears throat> i remember that your comment was uh and i'm not looking exactly at it so i'm probably paraphrasing but something along the lines of um i would skip the cqb training and start people off and and spend more time on situational shooting Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was really profound because I didn't even you didn't even really get that far into it. But I started thinking about it. And I'm like, well, I think if people like learn situational shooting skills, uh, almost in the way you look at learning fundamentals before you jump into a very broad concept like CQB can be once you start getting into it, um, there's a very obvious advantages. Um, so what's your thought on that? Or what, I guess what are you, what's your, your thought process behind people wanting to learn CQB? And I don't want to say the lack of value, but that there is more value in something like learning situational skills. Sure. I'd love to. This is a fantastic. I think without a doubt, people are excited about CQC and SWAT stuff and room clearing. And I think mm-hmm. this without a doubt because of the movie and TV, uh, movies and TV. Oh, yeah. And that's why everybody, you know, well, not everybody, but a lot of people, they buy a gun and like, well, it's for home defense. So I'm going to need to learn how to do this because home defense and it's like yeah man maybe although you should probably just make sure that you no one else is in the house and you just call the cops when you them to show up because they're inevitably going to be better at this than you are because if you're anything like me I, I ride a desk all day i work in finance you know i am not as well equipped as somebody who is a law enforcement individual for uh, by trade you know um but i think yeah that's everyone gets all hyped up and like yeah i saw it on tv i can totally do this And I can't fault people for that. Uh, it's all you know, right? It looks cool. Right. It looks effective. When you see in the movies, every time there's a shooting in a building, the SWAT team shows up and they clear the building and they go left clear, right clear. Ah. Uh, here's something a lot of people don't know that I would love to throw a little on deprogramming in there. Even SWAT team cops are more likely to shoot their gun or get shot at when they're doing regular law enforcement patrol operations than when they're doing SWAT team stuff. And that is my very, very, very humble, educated statement. Oh no! Rough, Fake news. Yes. No, you're Ish. you're destroying you're destroying so, the myth. <laughs> I I don't know what the numbers say, but I can tell you this: a lot of SWAT team callouts start because a a citizen by themselves was involved in a, in some type of shooting or some shooting threat, and then mm-hmm. b a patrol officer showed up first to help handle that, and then. Yeah. Minutes or hours later, the SWAT team shows up. So a lot of people would be very, very surprised about this, that regular people and patrol cops are more likely to see a shooting than a SWAT cop. 
some with some variation and some exceptions yes but that's a it's a concept that people are shocked to hear um, especially in the strange circular logic anti-gun crowd which is cops are not going to be there when the shooting starts they respond to it they're not fucking magic so you right. should take some of that security they're, into your own hands yeah they're the the natural the next natural point of escalation behind just or beyond i'm sorry just going and calling 911 to your point bringing in a regular patrol officer so if you look at logic and reason, which most people don't, <clears throat> since it's a point of escalation, it's already statistically they're going to be involved in less events, which start talking about things like statistics and, uh, you know, data driven decisions and things like that. Um, you're already dealing with a much smaller pool of data. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense that, you know, saying that that they're going to be dealing with those situations far more often than, like you said, room clearing and um you know all the the go fast uh high speed low drag stuff that everybody thinks looks so cool myself included uh, by the way so to taylor to, to kind of wrap that last one up with this next statement would be it's not just that swat needs to be called in to do the room clearing it's also it depends on where the shooting happens and where it goes and how that interaction takes place um so a lot of people do this imaginary game where their ideas come from Hollywood and they go, oh, someone will do a shooting and then they'll be in another room and then we have to go find them in that room. So we'll clear all the rooms on the way. In reality, that's that's probably a minority of how shooting events occur. It usually occurs with two different people in the same one spot, uh, two or more people. Um, so it's not ready, set, let's start the shooting. You go run that way and hide and I'll find you. It's, oh my God, the shooting's <laughs> on right now. So you're standing there, <laughs> yeah. I'm standing here, one or both of us draw a gun, and then the shooting starts. So if you think of it that way, you should be ready to handle that before you worry about, oh, then they ran that way, and now I have to go find them. Right, right. And it's, So it's, if you think about it logically, or if you think about it chronologically, you don't start a shooting, uh, you don't start your firearms defense by going, let's start clearing rooms. You start your firearms defense by going, I don't ever want to shoot anybody. Oh, no, there's a gun pointed at me. Now I have to make a decision. So then you get right. to that, you handle that, and maybe you will have to clear your house afterwards that you're in or the building that you're in. Yeah, and that's one of the things when I when I very first started shooting, when I very got my, when I got my um, my CPL, went through the, the, the class and everything, um, the gentleman that ran it was a retired training sergeant for the county sheriff's office here. Um, super nice guy good instructor very knowledgeable but i remember one of the one of the big things i took away from that and, and i'll be honest um i didn't take a ton away from like the video part of it because if you ever taken a cpl course but they're incredibly boring they do very little to actually try and make sure people stay engaged and learn the content you have to really be driven to uh you know take accountability for those things but anyways uh what what mike had said um was that if you ever find yourself in one of those situations, um, if you take care of the first person, look for number two, because bad guys are usually in pairs. If they're there to do something bad, evil, you know, this, that, whatever, there's usually a second guy. Now that he could have ran, heard a gunshot and took off, and that could be fine. But always, I mean, situationally, you need to be looking for what's coming next. It's not just a, hey, I shot this person in self-defense, you know, and now we're done. It doesn't. It's 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 much more fluid than that, right? Um, and I think to your point, 
knowing how to handle those situations and knowing how to process that that information, right? Um, I don't want to shoot somebody. Okay, maybe I'm going to have to right now. All right, I just did. Now what comes next? Understanding mm-hmm. that flow of information makes a lot more sense than, um, yeah. How am I going to how am I going to pie around this corner uh, correctly? You know. So yeah, that's a that's a fantastic segue. So let's talk about CQC for those of it, those out there that are super pumped about it. There is an astronomically huge difference between clearing a small residential structure with an eight to twelve to twenty four man team and clearing your house by yourself. Yeah, the other seven to twenty three dudes that are with you being chief among those. <laughs> uh, so it's 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 a different ball game. It's it's it, they're in two different worlds. Uh, there's some really good people out there that are offering some one-man and two-man clearing operation training, which is fantastic. Um, but the biggest thing that gets dropped, this is another niche area that I like to spend a lot of time in on my podcast, something that gets dropped a lot, and even some of the best and most expensive shooting schools and CQC schools out there, is we're playing a pretend scenario game in our heads. So the instructor says, pretend this is happening or they say nothing and they just go take the room and in your head oh excuse me i'm so sorry in your head you might be thinking oh okay so this is like die hard like the guys are back there with machine guns and they've been shooting a bunch of people now we have to go in and the instructor might be thinking you're just doing a welfare check just to see if those people in there are okay so you're starting (laughs) from different places right so i i like to remind people as much as i can when you're doing any type of security-related training, whether it's gunfighting, martial arts, you have to understand the phase that you're in. Are you in pre-combat, meaning combat hasn't started? Mm-hmm. Or are you in a planned operation, which is we are planning to go take that door down? Or are you already in a firefight, which is, oh my God, our half of our team just got dropped at the front door. I'm at the back door. I got to do something. Those are all very, very, very different tactics and communication and movement and and rules of engagement that you're going to have for all those different scenarios. So you're almost you're definitely at a disservice. If you don't understand the phase that you're acting in, then you're going to have a bad time for training. And in real life, you'll know in real life. You'll know. Oh, my God, those are gunshots. It's on. And in real life, you'll know. I just got out of the car. We're going up to that door. We're going to take down that door. You'll know what phase you're in naturally. But in training, a vast majority of people forget to deal with that or they deal with it poorly by structuring weird scenarios that not everybody's on the same page. So that can really hurt your training. And I feel like that's what we see the most of um, in, in, in social media, right? Um, yeah. Setting up scenarios with paper targets and things like that and um, – and just here, we're going to go around this corner or shoot from under this barricade. And um, not that there's not value, right, to, to some of those skills. Um, they work things like shooting position. They work things like trying to get a faster sight alignment, um, you know, processing data. It, it is, to an extent, all relative. Um, but I think what's important to understand for people is that it's, A, the introduction of stress, one, um, if you don't have those skills, like you said, if you hear a gunshot go off, right, you're you're going to respond either as you've trained, right? Like, hey, this is this is happening and this is how I need to react. Or um, you, you've never you've never dealt with something like that. You never put in a, in a situation where you have to make the decisions under stress. And I think that um, for all the the 
I guess the value that can be got from the stuff that we see on social media now, uh, albeit driven by, you know, likes and shares and, and all that, it's not, it really isn't that, to your point, applicable. Um, if you understand the situation that you're in um, and you plan accordingly, so sort of planning backwards, I guess, if that would make sense, um, yeah, knowing how to execute your, uh, I'll call them hard skills, things like um, presentation, trigger pull, um, target identification, right? Positive identification of your target, I think, is is huge, and, and not a lot of people really talk about it. You know, good instructors do. Um, again, going back to social media, I think a lot of guys don't. Right. But that's something that you can work on. Um, and it's not glamorous. It's not cool. It's not going to get you a lot of uh, attention. Right. But it's one of those skills that will that will get you a lot further than, you know, again, um, worrying about going to you know, the stuff you learn in a CQC course where it's not going to be. Um, I mean, and, and honestly, if you're learning how to do it as one person, right, then there's value to that. But um I don't think any of us on the civilian side are going to be rolling with three of our best friends uh, trying to take down a, our other buddy's house for some reason or something. I, I mean, I don't know where it would be applicable other than just pure enjoyment. Um, and again, not that I wouldn't love to do that. If there was a facility near me that offered a class like that, I would definitely try and take advantage because it just looks fun. But um, if you're, if you know, we're talking about things like fundamentals and, and, um, I guess getting back to the bureaucracy uh, part of things a little bit, um, greatest benefit for your your money spent, your fundamentals um, and and things like that are are hugely uh, more valuable. If you're going to spend money, if you own a gun, and if you've done some type of shooting course, um, I would very seriously implore you to not spend any more money on guns or shooting courses until you can attend a force on force training course. It's actually on my list. There's a, there is a place that like once a quarter or once every other quarter will actually and it, and what's crazy is this place is not large. It's like they have their front retail space and the back of it's like an elementary school classroom size wise, not not super big. Um, and they they every like you said every quarter or every other quarter host um, force on force classes. They let you bring in your own firearm and your your course fee. Um, covers the i think it's utm uh you know ammunition that they that they use they provide uh it looks like paintball masks i'm not sure if it's if it is that or if it's something just similar or whatever um and they just advise you hey wear two layers of clothing you know um and the class is like 12 people and i think they have two rooms back there and it just goes through a couple very easy things like hey somebody comes at you through a doorway or you're coming through a doorway and you run into somebody or out in the open um i think that the more that I've researched it, that's like moved its way higher and higher up my list of priorities personally. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I, I think more places should offer it as part of their curriculum. It's a lot of, a lot of ranges, a lot of, uh, I guess, establishments that, that advertise training, right. They don't, they focus only on the shooting and not a lot on the, uh, the force on force aspect. Um, which if you look at the data, you're more likely to, to end up in something like that, something closer, um, and right there, you know, I don't, at least I don't think you'll find yourself in, again, one of these room clearing situations, you're coming into the house, trying to find a bad guy who's, uh, I don't know, hiding somewhere with your TV. I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> in what context are they going to be hiding? You have to hunt them down rather than just call the police and let the professionals handle it. I don't know. Um, 
but I think force on force is hugely uh, undervalued right now. And let's just consider all the different places you can get into a shooting. It's not from a hallway into a room. I mean, like we said earlier, you're probably standing in the same place with someone if you're having a gun pointed at you or if you're pointing a gun at someone else. You're probably in the same room um, mm-hmm. or you're in an open area or you're at a park or you're in your car or you're both in the car or you're both outside a car or you're both yeah. walking to a car. Um, or even just looking at where we um, and if you take like concealed carry laws out of the equation for a second, but look at where the most mass shootings take place, right? Places like bars, movie theaters, shopping malls that are gigantic, wide open spaces, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, because it, it, obviously they, they lend themselves as for different reasons uh, as a target, right? Um, wide open, no walls, you know, you can just shoot, right? Target rich environment and all that. Um, so as somebody who is uh, a well-prepared defender, whatever you, whatever terminology, uh, vernacular you'd like to use, yeah, you're not going to have to be negotiating um, <laughs> negotiating doorways and corners. Uh, I, I would say maybe important to understand the difference between cover and concealment, <laughs> but uh, probably not the corners, the doorways, the um, nonverbal communication, things like that that go into CQB training, right? I don't think it's bad if you if you if you can go to you know basic room clearing or CQC or SWAT training if you can go go uh, yeah. just understand everything that it's not is what I would try to get you to understand um, know that those same tactics might help a little bit but they might also hurt you if you're doing that by yourself so if you go into a doorway and you lead yourself into a room and you dig deep into one corner and you commit fully to that. Mm-hmm. You might be getting shot in the back of the dome. Whereas right. and that's, with that's four people, that... even if they try to shoot you, whether they hit you or whether they miss, there's someone else coming through that door in the opposite corner to watch your back. So uh, it's just, it's a whole different ballgame. You know, risk reward something... changes. And it's... Yeah, so I think it's something that the, the media, or, or I should say the movies, um, do a really good job of making it look um, easier than it is, right? You know, you're watching a TV show. Um, I mean, statistically speaking, the second, I think it's the second or the third guy through out of four is usually the most likely to be hit. Um, but nobody ever gets shot in the TV shows. You know, you're the good guys. You're, you know, um, I don't know if you've watched like the show SWAT on CBS um, <clears throat> or SEAL Team. Um, I do because uh, that's just how I unwind at the end of the night. Um, but you know, those guys hardly ever get shot. If they do, it's like, oh man, major hole in the storyline now. And it's so dramatic. But in reality, it's not, you know, it's not going to be like that for normal people. Um, for one, we don't spend 12 hours a day training it, but um, it's just not realistic. You know, and that's, uh, I think, to your point, some people don't really realize, like, um, almost the science behind it, right? Like, you know, when you come in, if you're going to overcommit to a corner versus, you know, the, the options you have when you come through that doorway, right? They don't, and, and I, when I say they, I include myself because I'm not tremendously well-versed in it. Um, but I, I do understand that making the wrong decision when coming through that doorway has instant, uh, ramifications to it, um, that you, to your, your point might just get popped in the back of the head and then game over, bro. I mean, that's, that's it. Right. Yeah. That's tough. And again, nothing against SWAT training or CQC training. And I think I have no doubt that every human on the planet has a right to learn whatever skill set they want to learn for their defense. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter how crazy it seems, um, 
or no matter how useful it might be to you, you sure go for it. If you want to learn it, go learn it. Yeah. Um, I just, if I'm going, if I were to mentor a new student and they said, Hey, Pat, teach me everything about defensive shooting. I'd say, Oh, good. Eventually we're going to get to do CQC. We'll do it with one, one person, two people, four people. Yes. But let's get you the most value possible as quick as possible, which is going to be, I mean, honestly, I would even, as long as my student understood safe weapon handling techniques and could and could prove to me that they could do so, I would jump right into scenario uh, force on force shooting almost yeah. immediately. And I would, I would, I would smooth out any rough edges from there. If we had to go back and work on reloads, I'd go back and work on reloads and go right back into the shoot house. And then, you know, a week or two later, if we had to work on footwork, we'd do some footwork and then we'd go right back into the force on force. Put it um, back into context. Yeah. As so much as you, possible. Let me ask you this then, because this is something that, that I talk about on some other episodes. Uh, anytime sure. anybody talks to me about, you know, home defense and, and you know, weapons, mm-hmm. firearms, whatever, in general, um, having been through some CQC training, right? You you uh, you have experience with it and 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 everything. Is how I guess uh, is over penetration, right? Or like I guess uh, caliber selection is that something that's talked about a lot? I know obviously things like marksmanship are, um, and it's and that's important. How what I'm what I'm really getting at is a lot of people like you know, hey, I'm gonna buy a. 45 because they don't make a 46 because one of those is gonna put them down for good or i just need a shotgun because uh you know uh, some double hot buckshot's just gonna take care of i mean you know people have all these um cooked up theories and ideas and why whatever they chose for home defense or whatever is the best um but what i what i see a lot of people not understanding is things like uh over penetration um drywall doesn't stop jack shit um, and if you're in an all siding house versus an all brick house, what that means for your neighbor, who's possibly in bed next door, um, you know, if, if your decision turns out to be a poor one. Sure. I have some thoughts on that. Um, how could I explain this the best way? Um, in the Sherlock Holmes, uh, in any of the series that the character is in, uh, there's a reoccurring trope where he says things like, I know all this detective stuff because I don't spend my time worrying about all that shit that you worry about. Like, uh, for instance, <laughs> in the TV show, the one, the modern one, he was like, the sun goes around the earth, the earth goes around the sun. He's like, I don't care. He's like, I don't have time for that because that's not what I'm devoting my mental energy to. So I know like the smell of a cigarette butt and which brand it is. And I know like lipstick colors and I know like how to follow footprints. He's like, that's what's in my brain. And if I worry about all this other bullshit that doesn't apply to me, I won't have room for the good stuff, like the detective stuff. Yeah. So for me, economics plays a huge part in this. So we're going to answer that question about drywall. If you are devoting your time, your mental energy, your decision-making ability, your your money, your training time, if you're devoting all of that to, well, what about the drywall? Then I bet you there's some other shit that you should probably be worrying about first that you're not worrying about. That's, that's my short answer. So if that's the argument, you had better have solved every fucking other thing in the book that could be a problem. So your your target shooting, your stress shooting without using your sights on your weapon should be on point. Your close-up shooting should be on point. Your hand-to-hand combat should be on point. Your security system around your house should be fucking locked tight. You should be good to go and fully understanding how that works. Your communication with you and your partner or whoever you live with should be rock and roll. Like, 
if I were to worry about, well, what about the drywall? I should buy a different gun with a different caliber. If I get to that point, yeah. I better have solved every fucking other thing possible. So I think that's a wa- I think that is a wasted rabbit hole when you could be spending time training or doing something much more productive. So is it important? Yes. Uh, but it's almost consider it this way. If a gunfight starts in your house or in my house, right where we're at right now, how much room in your brain do you have for, well, with this caliber, if I, uh, no, cause that wall is drywall. Uh, I don't know. Let's see. Like there's no <laughs> right. room for that. There's no, there's definitely not. And that's, I guess the point that I usually get around to with that is, you have to make the decision when you're buying a firearm, right? What its purpose is um, to some extent, if it's going to be something you're going to carry, if it's not, if it's for home defense, if it's just for the range. Um, and, and I guess that it kind of gets mixed in there somewhere with everything else. Um, to your point, yeah, there's a lot of other stuff you should be worrying about before you get to that. Um, in my personal opinion, I think it comes down to wherever you, you are um, comfortable shooting, um, comfortable and competent shooting so i mean if that's a 380 is it my choice no it's not for a whole list of reasons but if that's what you're comfortable shooting cool there's a lot of benefits to that um there's some detractors but you know it, it comes down to what you're comfortable with in a lot of situations it was on the the economic side of it was the ammo available you know can you afford it and there's oh, God, you know, a lot yeah. of guys like crazy yeah I, I shoot 10 mil because you know it's amazing like you know I used to work at a bank and I used to have the same customer coming every week to cash his check and just talking to the guy. Like, yeah, I carry whatever number of Glock. That's like the, the compact version in 10 millimeter. I go, why would you do that? And he's like, Oh, cause they don't shoot through a damn refrigerator. I'm like, yeah, well fast forward four or five years now. And it's like, Hey man, how much does that ammo cost you? <laughs> cause you know, I mean, and, and that's a factor for a lot of different reasons. I never really understood some of it, but, um, that is a interesting, um, uh, I like how you put that. You know, there's a lot of other stuff that's worth um, being preoccupied and pre-concerned with when you're evaluating your uh, your home defense situation, things like that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> I do find myself in a lot of these niche positions, but I think it's important, man. It's uh, there is a lot of misconception out there, and there's a lot of bad training out there, and there's a lot of bad trainers out there. So. My goal is that I can help people, even if they choose a school to go do their tactical training at, that's not so great. I try to give them at least the mental toolbox to get the most out of that training, whether it's good or bad or indifferent. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to the old adage, right? You can lead a horse to water. Um, you can't make a drink type thing. Um, in your particular position as a, as an educator, right? As a trainer, you can, you can only do what you can do, right? It's up to uh, the rest of us, right, as students uh, to to then execute on those skills and take full advantage of what you have to offer, right? Because um, I think you you nailed it 100%. There's um, a lot of bad trainers. There's good trainers out there. There's bad trainers out there. Um, I used to I used to teach music, um, and uh, one of the big things that was always uh, sort of touted in that community was. Um, people's performance experience with all the things that they'd done um, without getting too deep into it. What what seems to be just very common with all of that, and I, I found it to be true in the 2A community as well, is just because you were good at shooting or you were a really proficient operator. What, I mean, whatever you want to say, however great you were, right? 
Just because you were great at that does not mean you are going to be a good teacher. I mean, do you oh, have God. some stories? Yeah. Do you have the firsthand knowledge? Yes. Does that mean you're going to be a good community communicator? No. Does it mean that you're going to know more than one way to explain something to someone? No. You know, because everybody learns different. Um, and I think that you start to see people that are that are truly good teachers, mentors, right? Um, that are in this to help people grow individually. Um, those are the, the people that have devoted uh, their life not so much to just getting better themselves. It's to helping everybody else get better, um, which, again, is it, it, it's, it comes down to communication more than anything else, um, which, and I know you say you spent some time, I think you said in corporate security, but in the corporate world, communication is huge. And um, you'd be surprised how bad people are at it because I deal with it daily. And it's pretty much the most fucking frustrating thing in the world when people are bad at it, you know, um, especially when they want to talk about how great they are in all kinds of other avenues. Um, but communication is 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 vitally important. Um, and, you know, things like training, when you're talking about life and death scenarios, it really does bother me. You see some of these guys coming out. uh like, hey, come train with me. Come learn from me. And it's like, you see videos of them hosting their their three, four, six person class, whatever, um, which is fine because everybody starts somewhere. But it's like, you watch it, and I'm like, you know, if I was in that in that class, I don't know, I'd be able to take this guy seriously, um, you know, screaming, fuck this, slap that ass, whatever. I mean, like, it, it's funny, sort of, uh, but I wouldn't, you know, I mean. I just don't, I, I don't know if the professionalism thing or if people just change what yeah. they do for Instagram, but, um, there's a couple guys and I, I you know, they're, some of them get blown up by the internet and they lose their business rightfully so. And some of them, I think kind of just float around and live in their niche and it's kind of weird. Um, yeah, there's certainly some strange instructor personalities out there and, and I don't know how much of that is real or not, but, um, I, one of the biggest compliments I received um, that I, I get occasionally is, hey, I went to your in-person course or, uh, for instance, one of the guys that just bought my um, my online tactical lockpicking course that I just launched. Um, it's like attending my in-person course, but you just get to watch it over video. Um, and it's real high def, lots of good camera angles, camera footage. Uh, so it's a good option for people that can't make it to the in-person course. So he, he, he buys it the night that it launches and he writes a review and he says, he says, if you expected Pat to be any different than he is on his podcast or in his videos, he said, he's, he's, it is exactly what you expect, which he was thankful for. He's like, I'm watching this course, like hours and hours of content on how to do the skill set. And he's like, it was, it was like being in a classroom with him and he acted the way I expected. So if an instructor markets their course as, hey, you're going to show up. And I'm going to fucking yell at you. And sorry for swearing. And <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> and I'm going to make you do this the right way. If you purchase an enrollment in that course, knowing that, and you show up and that's what you get, then good. Great. But if someone markets their course as we are the world's leading experts and we're very respectful and we're respectful professionals and we're highly qualified and we're business, business, bureaucracy, qualified shooting certificate. And then you show up and they're fucking screaming at you. Yep. Then you have a problem. Yeah, and that's um, that is the hallmark of a poor instructor, poor educator, poor communicator, right? Is because they get frustrated very quickly. Um, what I've found to be true, both in the gun community and, like I said, I used to teach music. So as a um, as a student, as an educator, what have you, 
um, the frustration really should be directed inward, right? Because the the person standing in front of you is having difficulty conveying what they're trying to get you to do. Um, but instead, it, it's an outward reaction, right? They scream at you, you know, just, just you know, I, I'll never forget I had, and one of the guys that was one of my instructors, um, he's, an, he's an incredible guy, very, very close personal friend, known him for 15 or 18 years. I remember one day, um, I think he was just having a bad day or something, and he's sitting in front of us, and we're, you know, doing our thing musically, and um, he just he stopped us, and I, he was just so pissed off, right, and just screamed like, "Just do fucking better!" <laughs> and I remember at that moment, I was like, I was mature enough in what I knew that I I knew it was going on, um, but something that kind of just always stuck with me because I'm like, man, to get to that point, you know, it, it is, it's a frustration thing, um, but it, that's you know, it, and it happens, you get frustrated, um, yeah. and it's okay. Um, you can either react that way or you can you can react uh, by saying, OK, I need to figure this out. I need to figure out how I'm going to work with the student to have them understand what I'm getting at. Um, I don't okay. want them leaving here not having this this concept at least grasped or, um, you know, whatever. I mean, whatever you, you however you want to phrase it. Um, <clears throat> I think that's the big differentiator. Right. And I think um, with some places you see that um i think with others you don't as much um i've had interactions in the 2a community with some instructors that i um to your point you know you, you they, they act one way and you decide if you want to train with them or not right um and i think everybody should you know i think um and, and tell me if you agree or disagree but I think I know your answer. Um, you should try and connect with some of these people as easy as it is now with social media and things. Talk to these people, kind of feel it out a little bit. Um, there was one trainer, in sp- very specifically, and I won't name names, um, that I, had, I he was coming up to a range that was in within an hour, hour and a half of where I live. Um, I was like, yeah, I want to take this class. Like this guy, you know, like I'm a bigger guy. Um, he's a bigger dude. I'm like, okay, so if there's anybody who can teach me how to comfortably carry concealed and how to, you know, grip a small compact pistol with, with big hands and everything. Like, this guy's going to know because he knows how I, you know, he knows my life. And uh, I, I remember reaching out to the guy and dude, just the biggest jackass in the world. And I'm like, yeah. he just, you know, uh, I was like, you know, I'm not going to spend money going to learn from you now. Like, fuck you, buddy. Uh, no. Why would I Why would I want to come learn from somebody like that who already has this? He made some comment about just people from Michigan in general not being able to... Uh, <laughs> He's uh, not being able to shoot. I think the, the exact comment was uh, Michigan's got a lot of 50, like five-yard gunfighters. Oh, I'm man. like, okay. I mean, I don't know what that means. I assume it means that we suck past 15 feet. Um, but, I mean, I, you could be part of the solution instead of bitching about it and, and try to run classes with ranges that go past 25 yards to help us with that or whatever. Um no, luckily I, you know, I connected with some of the guys at a range here called Ann Arbor Arms. Uh, the lead instructor Robbie there, great guy. Uh, had an awesome first class experience. Super humble dude. Um, I mean, qualified to be the instructor for to, you know, to be sure. Um, but but very very different in how he approached everything. Um, and I was very happy with the experience. So, um, I think more people instead of just taking the class, whatever is most convenient, you know, do the research, figure out how it's gonna. Uh, if that's the kind of person you want to learn from, especially because now, you know, I mean, you, you make content, you know, 
you, you have to, it's almost like you're mar- not even almost you're marketing yourself. You're advertising yourself to, so people know what they're, you get, just know what they're buying essentially. Right. I would be very hesitant to go to a tactical training course today if they don't have a YouTube channel on Instagram, like fuck, pick something, something on Twitter, Pinterest, like something to say, these are my students. This is me teaching. Like, here's a clip of my philosophy. Like, this is why I do things. This is how I do things. Like, if you don't have that in 2021 now, I- I'm going to tell you, I'm probably not going to your training course unless you're like, unless you have just raving reviews from close personal friends of mine. Yeah. And even, even still, I'm like, uh, maybe it's not for me, though. So that's... That would be a red it's flag just, for me. Yeah, it's just too accessible, like you said, in, in 2021. It's too accessible to to be able to put things because it costs what nothing, right? To have an Instagram, you know. I mean, you're gonna have a cell phone anyways. Not like you bought. I wouldn't consider it to be specialized equipment, <laughs> you know, to do what you know a lot of people do. Just take some videos with your phone, you know, take some pictures with your phone, throw it on Instagram, whatever. I mean, you're just doing what everybody else does. You're it's just more directed towards your business than your personal life. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, if you don't, it, it, it's your responsibility, right? You need to vet your instructor before you commit financially, right? To, to yeah. doing that. And that's unique. That's actually a, a modern phenomenon too. Cause you, historically you had zero chance to do that. Nobody had a YouTube channel for shooting stuff or fighting yeah. stuff. Nobody had podcasts. Like there was a time when you and I were alive that the, the only option that existed was a mail order catalog with like a one sentence exactly and, a, <laughs> and like a, a fortune magazine yeah so like oh, for more information <laughs> and i get that's probably what we're dealing with now and those people are i think are on the way out and i think that's why some weirdos in the tactical community just love yelling at their students for no fucking reason they love it because i think that's from the days of you know <laughs> back that's page how you magazine got it done. ads yeah that's that's what you were taught and that's what your instructor was taught that's what their instructor was taught but now we have people acting a little more human and saying, if you want to learn this skill set, I will help you learn this skill set instead of if you want this cult of personality, I'll be that personality for you. Like, they're <laughs> two different things. Yeah. And um, and and what people don't realize, right, is, uh, you know, especially people new to firearms, new to training in anything, you know, oh, it's even remotely yeah. 2A. Um, is that there is not a required like as a teacher you got to get your teaching certificate you got to go to college as a firearms instructor or a combatives instructor you just have to know how to work the google you know like there's no i mean you you can right you can get those certifications i know the nra offers some i think uscca offers some um but <laughs> there is no uh required documentation or licensing um to be an instructor so short of just being able to um, administratively pull together the resources to host a class and get enough people to sign up. I mean, anybody, I could run a class. Do I think I'm qualified to? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, um, well, I let me, that's let what me, people don't realize. And let me, let me explain that too, why you probably are. If you are better at something than someone who's never done it, then you have an audience, but you have to be, you have to be honest about it though. So, I, if I told people I'm the best lock picker in the world, come learn from me, I'd be lying. So if they showed up thinking, oh, this guy said he's the best in the world, and then I fail at something when I'm doing a demo, <laughs> yeah, they're going to be upset, and rightfully so. But I, I try to, it depends on who, it depends on who your audience is, first off. So if, 
if I were teaching a shooting course, which I'm getting back into this year, um, I still have a very good passion for it and I know quite a bit about it. So we'll be doing more of it. Um, So you'll see that content come out. But if I were teaching a local, a local casual once a month, like shooting club, I would want to present myself and present the skill set of let's work on this specific skill this weekend. And I would try to get my students to learn a skill set. And I would be very approachable. I would want them asking questions from me. I probably wouldn't be screaming at anybody. And I would make it an enjoyable experience for my students of any level, but probably from the lower spectrum of less trained. If I was contracted to teach an actual SWAT team and they said, all right, Pat, we're on the shooting line. You're up, instructor. And I saw someone not know how to lock their slide to the rear on their pistol. I'd be fucking screaming at them. Yeah, I'd go I'd go fucking ballistic. That's a little different, right? So it depends on who your audience is. It depends on how you market yourself. And it depends on if you're being honest or not, because I think you and I both know in this shooting community, especially on Instagram, a lot of people are less than honest about who they are and how they do what they do. Oh, dude, you see it. Yeah, you see it all the time. I mean, what was it maybe two, three months ago? Um, it felt like every other week we had somebody else. Uh, I say we, I mean, the community had somebody else coming out like, hey, um, so I'm not actually a former Green Beret. I lied, you know, and it's like, and I remember literally, I remember saw a post uh, or seeing a post and I was like, damn it, another one, <laughs> you know, because it, it felt like there was two or three within maybe a month, you know, and the stolen valor thing or whatever. It's like, you know, you, you hear about it once in a while, but it just seemed like there's so much that, that happened in such a small amount of time. And because it's easy, really, you know, on, on social media. I mean, how are people going to, you know, vet you? And because you, you, you can you can just create a page. You don't have to put your name out there. You don't have to put your face out there. You, you know, you can just say, you know, you can share some pictures that you stole from somewhere or whatever. And there's plenty of those out there, too. Right. <laughs> and just say, hey, I did this shit. And people are going to be like, yeah, fuck yeah, bro. And no one and, you know, it takes a while to come out. But yeah, if you vet your instructors, if you look at that stuff, I mean, it's going to be easy to find for the guys that you should trust, right? They're gonna they're gonna make it accessible, and there's gonna be ways to um to validate that, right? I come people like John Lovell at Warrior Poet Society come to mind. Like he talks about what he did. He doesn't harp on it, I don't think. Um, he 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 mentions that he was a ranger, and he'll reference things that he did if people have questions on gear, if they have you know questions on like optics or rifles or you mean whatever sometimes he'll say things like yeah you know when i was you know i was in the rangers we did this and this is why but he doesn't really you know tout that you should i guess he doesn't leverage that when he's explaining something he'll say this is what you want to do and here's why and this has been my experience not just that well you know i was a fucking ranger suck my dick you know like i said so yeah yeah exactly the the i the i said so approach um is I fucking hate it. And uh, I think you get a lot of, again, you get a lot of these guys on social media, they're like, they don't like being corrected or people give them crit- you know, criticism of any variety. Like, hey, bro, um, you should do it this way instead. What you're doing is absolutely wrong. It's like, cool. Thank you. Take it under advisement. And then you get the guys that are like, you don't know what you're fucking talking about. I've seen your page. You smoke weed and play with yo-yos and you, you own a Glock or something. You know what I mean? Um, I just, social media, it's, when you're looking at, at to put it in perspective, what I'm what I'm trying to get at, it's too easy, right? It is too easy yeah. to conceal, you know, what you're you, to conceal what you're um, what you're not, 
right? Um, so I think it's everyone's responsibility. You're going to go to a class, just do some research. If they're worth it, it'll be real easy to tell. It'll be really easy to tell. Now, that's not to say you might not have a, a better experience with one guy over the other, but that's a little subjective and it's kind of, nothing's perfect, right? Um, but that's that's social media today. I, I do think it's a good yeah. asset though, right? The access to information does make it a lot easier. Yeah, and, and think, you'll get out of it what you want to get out of it. Yeah, if you if you want to, right, start seeking. And that's one of the things I'm starting to find out with social media is people, if you dig deeper, it's not like the dark web, but it's kind of like the dark web. If you get to those parts of like Instagram with people that have like less than 5,000 followers, and there's actually a lot of good information out there from oh, yeah. a lot of like legit dudes that are too busy doing the shit that matters um, to work on their follower account, you know. Um you know, again, some of the guys that work with Warrior Poet Society, um, some of these training groups that are out there, um, they're not as, you know, great information, awesome information, uh, and and accurate too, but they don't, they only have, you know, like 7,000 followers as compared to places like, I don't know, Demolition Ranch or something, because, you know, they just know how to social media a little bit better than the next guy, and um. I don't know. I think uh, I, I think that's the biggest thing, right, for new shooters is just realizing that and really realizing how to disseminate that data. You know, really, I guess figuring out what to look for. You know, who can teach me what I need to know better than the next guy, right? Um, and even just you know, what am I looking for? That was my I, and I don't know what your experience was when you first got into shooting or training or anything. Um, but all those questions, like, I don't know what I need to buy. I don't know. Should I buy a leather holster or should I buy Kydex? I, I don't know. Leather looks cool. I guess I'll go with that. You know, <laughs> there's just there's so many of those questions. If you, don't have, if you don't have anybody there to teach you or to, like, yeah. advise you, like, hey, man, leather's cool. You really probably don't want to go that route. Or, hey, man, Ruger's great, but you probably don't want to buy that gun. You should go with a Glock or a SIG or something that's not going to have a pin walk out on you. Yeah, there's quite a bit you can do for zero cost with social media. And you're right, a lot of really, really knowledgeable knowledgeable people are really, really accessible. Uh, so if you're respectful and polite, um, it's it's pretty easy to find maybe not the best mentor in the world, but a mentor that will hopefully not steer you wrong. Um, and it's easy to it's even easy to quality check that too. And that brings up another point. I, I tried to talk about it earlier, but I got sidetracked. Um, I forgot. Um, it's not commonly taught. I mean, it's it's not something that, as Americans, we learn in public school growing up is this critical thinking analysis. Uh, I mean, we're really good at short-term memory of facts, but you are responsible for finding the place you want to train. Yes, you're responsible with what you do with that information once you learn it. So after you leave the school, you're responsible. Um, yeah. You're also responsible during the learning. It's not you don't get to delegate that learning to your instructor's paperwork. And what I mean by that is I don't get to say, Hey, I went to this gunfighting school. I got this certificate. This certificate says that the training's good. So I must be good. Uh, you are responsible. That's interesting. Yeah. You're responsible for going to training, getting a certificate and then going, 
do I think that this training makes sense and is it credible and am I going to decide to use it in the future or not? Right. So you are responsible, even if you have no experience, even in your very first shooting school, if you've never fired a gun before, you as a human, you're supposed to take that course and go, does that make sense? All the things they said, because they may be full of shit. And, and, and honestly, I think that's why I would like to see less classes offering the certificates, the, the trophies, the awards at the end. Cause I feel like it does kind of just, and because societally, right. We're kind of put in this position where it's like, Oh, I got the trophy. I must be good at this. You know, the, the, uh, the participation award. Right. Um, I mean, it just says that you completed the course, right? So you spent eight hours training, you completed that course. I, I don't know anybody who's ever gone from zero to master in eight hours on um, anything, right? But I do think that some people kind of, they try to tout that, like, well, hey, I trained with these guys and I, you know, I, I know what's up, man. You can't tell me what's wrong. This is what happened in my class. It's like, well, you know, it's pretty subjective, you know, and, and that's not to say what they taught you was wrong. It, it might just be the way that they do things. And there's nothing wrong with that either, right? And it could be simple little things. I mean, honestly, I've got I've had guys reach out to me. Like I did a couple of videos on Instagram, um, just trying to apply some some skills I learned in the carving class I took. Things like coming around a corner, right? Things like um, and, and it can't it comes down. Oh, should you have uh your your rifle at a low ready or a high ready? And one is much better than the other. It's like well. In, maybe i mean situationally um yeah i mean uh my co-host sam that i do the podcast with um he went through uh darcy when he was in the air force he went and was able to, to participate at a uh, cqb class at, at darcy and he's like well we we did uh low ready for a lot of stuff because the guys that that ran the course were rangers and they like to drop dudes on the roof so you don't want to flag all your buddies upstairs so muscles down I'm like, okay, but then you see other guys um, like Sean Ryan from Vigilance Elite. He talks about, well, we always did high port. And it's like, that's just what we did because, you know, whatever fill in the situation. So um, having learned from one person, to your point, doesn't make you the, the expert in that, in, that same, uh, in that same subject matter. And it also doesn't mean that whatever you learned in that course is the, the absolute... Um, rule of law right mm-hmm. i think we could all do a better job of being more um open-minded on a lot of topics but again i think uh you know some people they just they don't want to they don't want to hear the the criticism and the input i think that's societally it's like a it's it, we take it as an attack it's not an attack it's just i think if people welcomed right the open sharing of ideas more often we'd, we'd all get a lot further a lot quicker <laughs> Jeez. Yep. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of a lot of ego in social media and in shooting schools. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I think that uh, who was it? Somebody I can't even remember who the hell said it, um, but I heard it and I, I had to laugh out, you know, laugh out loud at it. I was listening to I think a podcast. Somebody said it might have been Kevin Owens from uh, Fieldcraft Survival. Because um, listen to that when I go to the gym. So you can carry a firearm or you can carry an ego, but you can't do both. And I'm like, somebody make that into a fucking bumper sticker. Like, goddamn, like that that's it. That is perfect. Um, because when you mix you start mixing those two things together, you know, uh bad shit happens uh, for a lot of different reasons, right? Um 
yeah, man. So to kind of uh, wrap it up a little bit here. Um, a thank you for coming on. This has been yeah. this has been really cool. Been great. Um, where can where can people find you? I know you, you mentioned like the uh, the recording of your class that's that's now available and stuff, and we we've talked about the store and everything. Where can people find you uh, both from the retail perspective and then to follow you um, your social media? Sure, I'll just give uh, just two places. Uh, I'm the most active on Instagram, and that's at Uncensored Tactical. It should all be one word. Um, and almost anything that we reference tonight and all the courses I have going on, uh, the video content, the, the gear store that, where we sell tools now, um, you can find almost all of that from just the homepage, which is pretty easy to remember, uncensoredtactical.com, one word. Or you can type in the shortcut, which is utac.io. That'll bring you to our homepage. You can just cruise around that homepage. That's it. Super easy. utac.io. That's man, I, there's a shortcut for stuff like that. Well, yeah, you could you could make your own shortcut, anything you want, yeah. And I, I just seen. I hate and it's not even I had no idea. This is I'm being greedy. It's not even for my fucking audience. It's for me. I hated every day going. <laughs> oh, I have to check this on the website uncensoredtactical.com. I'm like, fuck, I really need to change that. So I just it's like added 17 a shortcut. keystrokes. It's way too many yeah, keystrokes. That's, that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's stone ages. Yeah, as somebody that does that uh, all day long, um, you know you're getting to that point where you start finding shortcuts when you can start memorizing like long, complex URLs yeah. and stuff. It's like, man, there's got to be a better <laughs> fucking way to do this, right? So, um, but Pat, thanks, man. Um, this has been awesome. Uh, hopefully we can find time. We'll, we'll do it again soon. Um, you're an absolute wealth of knowledge, and I look forward well, thanks, to uh, getting together again and talking about, I mean, really shit, whatever. I had a good time. Thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Not a problem, brother. All right. We'll talk soon and uh, stay safe. All right. There you guys have it. My discussion with Pat from Uncensored Tactical. I hope you enjoyed it. I immensely enjoyed being able to uh, converse with him. Uh, we hit on a, a bunch of different topics, uh, some of which was planned, uh, most of which really wasn't. So that was actually kind of fun uh, being able to get into some of those things uh, without having to really plan the whole conversation. Uh, I really do recommend you guys uh, check out what he's got going on, what he's doing. Uh, he's a righteous dude out there making uh, great content and uh, really, really trying to help improve the community through uh, his teaching and the resources he has out there. Uh, definitely recommend checking out his website, uh, uncensoredtactical.com, for his uh, classes that you can uh, attend, whether it's in person or virtually, as well as take advantage of his uh, new store that's up and running. So like I said, I hope you guys really enjoyed it, and I hope you all go check out everything that he has going on, including his Uncensored Tactical podcast. But that's all I got for you guys, all right? That's it. I am out for this week, and until I get a hold of you guys next time, like we always say here, get out and train, be prepared. Be prepared.